0: Saturday. What day
1: is it today? Wednesday. Sydney Latin American Film Festival is coming soon.
2: Yes, it is. It is indeed Sydney Latin American Film Festival on Wednesday. On discussing on Film Fight Club. And I'm Glenn Falcone from Falcon Screen,
0: and we have that was Chris Evans, Sydney filmmaker. A bit of fortuitous um, technical difficulties there, <laughs> <laughs> and Ratney Roo, freelance writing and
3: critic. All and, our people. And, and, oh, that's great. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it shadowing it my so
4: inner well. in Latin American uh, non heritage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we're to uh, have with us because it's the Latin American Film Festival, the 14th one, and we have the festival program with us of the 14th and quite a few before, many before, Giselle Dulego. Giselle, thank you so much for joining us.
3: No, thank you guys for having me over. It's always a pleasure to be here.
0: So the festival's kicking off next Wednesday night. We're going to get into discussing the festival in quite some detail. Also Nightingale later in the program, which is in cinemas tomorrow, had its premiere. Originally the Adelaide Film Festival in Venice and is screened at Melbourne and Sydney. And we just want to do a shout out to David Park from the Korean Film Festival Australia, which is celebrating its 10th year. We had David on last week. The festival is in full swing at Dandy Cinemas Opera Keys. And we wished uh, Virat and Chris a happy birthday. We sung happy birthday to them both last week because they have both celebrated birthdays this week. But David very modestly did not tell us that it was actually his
4: birthday coincided with Virat's. Well, I was clearly the more important person, (laughs) you know, to have a birthday celebrated because he wasn't invited, you guys were. So, yeah. You know, sucks to be David, but we love you. But happy birthday anyway, on that note.
0: We are talking the Sydney Latin American Film Festival, which is screening from the 4th to the 21st of September at Dandy Cinemas Opera Keys as well, at the Edison Road Picture House and at Kazula Arts Powerhouse. Now, we're going to be talking about some of the individual film screening, but first of all, this year it's the 14th festival. What's happening? What's it, what is it all about?
3: Okay, so we, as you said, we kick off next Wednesday. It's crazy to think it's only one week from now. And we're going to do it with a Brazilian film. And it's a uh, cotton wool ward. And it's really... Think about feminism in Brazil these days, right? Non-existent. Uh, but um, it's this beautiful story about Dora, who lives in Germany. And who has been brought up as Brazilian, as we a lot of people live in this bicultural world. We can identify with that. She comes back to Brazil and sees her grandmother, who she's never known about. And she's never known, she's never heard of. And she has to learn who this amazing woman is. Is that self-discovery of her grandmother, who is this amazing woman. I don't want to ruin the film for you. But it's also to discover the sights of Salvador de Bahia, which is a beautiful city with big Afro-Latino heritage so you're going to hear the music learn about the culture learn about the traditions and of course there's going to be a party there's going to be food and there's going to be a great surprise but I, again I can't spoil it
0: I can strongly having been to the past several I can strongly recommend the parties they are the most fun and it was enormous fun last year I wish my own Afro-Latino family from Brazil could be over here but they are alas they are not but uh, it is going to be an incredible night only one god it is literally this time next week
3: right we will be there this time next week. Well, close to.
0: Close to. Close to. And um, quite a few uh, prominent films screening at the festival as well. You have a Peruvian film. The last year we had the World Cup, a big event everywhere. I try to watch all the games. And this was Peru's first entry in quite a while. And this film chronicles that history and the impact of being involved in the Cup and soccer generally in Peru,
3: I think the the interesting thing about this documentary is what is it that makes us who we are. So, as a Peruvian, what makes you a Peruvian? Is it that craziness about the World Cup, and then feeling that you lost a lot when they lost? Or, or is it what is it that makes us who we are? So that's why the premise of this film is: it's not about. It uses kind of football as a as an excuse to tell. Uh, issues around identity and how we believe ourselves and then it kind of builds from there to say what is the peruvian identity and what is it that's what the documentary is trying to answer
4: yeah i mean uh, a lot of the i guess movies about sports the best movies about sports are not about sports at all like they're actually about you know using sports as a metaphor to talk about community issues and other things, which uh, brings me to one of my films that I'm thinking about, not, not from sports perspective, obviously, but uh, talking about community issues and using a metaphor, is Miriam Lies, yes. which is talking about race in a very interesting way, but not in the ways that you suspect.
3: Correct. Because the thing about Miriam Lies is that it's quite subtle. And it's in, you know, in Latin America, there's this thing that when you turn 15 as a girl as a girl you are coming of age so you have this big bash called quinceañera so yes and people even if they don't have the resources they'll you know they'll mortgage their house to have the quinceañera it's kind of an important event yes there's even a documentary about that oh oh, you can't believe what people go through to make this happen but in this circumstance um there's two girls and one is um Caucasian and the other one's Afro-Latina They're friends, and they want to have this party together. That's the premise. So you think, oh, well, it's a coming of age. Nothing more to it. Well, it's quite interesting, because then she needs to find a partner to dance with. And what happens when she realizes that her partner is also another Afro-Latino?
2: Ooh. Ooh.
3: Yeah. And the music sticks in your head, doesn't it? Yeah, the ooh. Uh, yeah. The tune, it just goes all the way Again, there's this tune that they play all the time, and you will—you'll come singing that tune. I but probably. it's
4: interesting how something so simple can actually become a catalyst for something. So you know deep-rooted in our society where, you know, it's a simple premise but actually it's the execution which is interesting.
3: Yeah, and I think in, especially in a country that, like the Dominican Republic with the huge percentage are actually Afro-Latinos. They somehow represent themselves as a minority. They lack their power. They lack the... So I think it's quite an amazing film and it's directed by Natalia Cabral who's a documentary filmmaker. So this is her first feature film, fiction feature film and she's very talented and I think, I hope you can tell from the film.
2: There's yeah. Se- there seems to be, um, it just in some of the film's We've spoken about so far a trend of feminist narratives coming through. Um, You know, Miriam Lies, The Cottonwood War, but also, you know, Wandering Girl. Um, I might be wrong, but by the sounds of it, Tropical Virus...
3: Yes, absolutely. And you got it all right. And what I love about Wandering Girl is like actually directed by Ruben, who is a... Sometimes you talk about feminists and you think about women, but men can actually be a feminist. And I think Ruben is a strong feminist. And his characters in Wandering Girl are four strong women, very young. And bea- I would say they're the most beautiful women in the whole of the festival. So even... They're beautiful. And Vido yes, yeah, written by Power Paola. That's her... Kind of, um named a Plume and she's a cartoonist. She's um done four very well known books. So she was born in Ecuador but then moved between Ecuador and, and Colombia again, that biculturalism. And it's based on this beautiful book, The Animator's also a woman and is directed by Santiago Caicedo. But again, a strong four women, the mother, the dad is actually quite an interesting character, and it's beautiful because it's a black-and-white animation.
2: Yeah. The black-and-white animation and telling the story of uh, girls coming of age reminds me a bit of Persepolis.
3: Yes, definitely. There's a lot of... Um, yes, quite similar. You're right. Right, Spot right. on, yeah. Interesting.
0: Now, that's screening, I think, on the later in the evening of the 10th, but earlier that night, um, you're screening not a feature film, but something distinct entirely
3: yes so we have a short feature film competition so we're going to show eight films but only seven of them are going to be in competition and the topic this year it was about migration and climate change and the intersection of both so how can people get displaced by climate change and end up migrating and we have films from animation documentaries and fiction and they're really powerful they really show why people migrate the the barriers that they face when they migrate xenophobia racism again and then what's facing climate change especially in mexico we hear two distinct stories about fishermen no longer being able to fish or cities just being drawn out of water and we have an extra special screening of something called platicas which is um the stories of these kids that were in the caravan heading to mexico that was um done as they reach tijuana so, I think it's a very interesting session. Please come along. It's at Addison Road. We want as many people. We want to have a conversation about climate change and migration. We're going to have um, an inviter researcher as well. We're uh, co presented with Kino. So, there's going to be lots of special guests and a good conversation.
0: Yes, um, Kino, for those who might remember, Kino Sydney are the amazing filmmaking collective. We had Brian Fisher and Christina was on the show last year to talk all things short filmmaking I think their next one is coming up in the third week of September on the Monday or Tuesday um, I do want to I know we're doing a giveaway shortly but before we do for those who haven't heard the Addison Ridge Picture House um, you're one of the only organizations making consistent and outstanding use of this relatively new and gorgeous venue can you tell us a little bit more about it because I absolutely love going there last time I went there was for a Latin American community event which I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed
3: thanks so we I think Films should be accessible and every time I look at the film prices they're quite astronomical in in Sydney, in Australia something ridiculous, isn't it? Like I just bought tickets to see a festival somewhere else and with that price of two tickets I can only buy almost one here in Sydney.
4: Half the reason I became a critic was that Afraid to have to pay for movies. <laughs> sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> one one of someone the wants that giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> someone wants the
3: giveaway, yes. So this is a way for us to make film accessible and to present stories that otherwise you wouldn't be able to watch anywhere else. So that's why we present, you know, a black and white adult animation. By the way, strong sex scenes in um in that one. Yes. And yes, oh <laughs> and also you know <laughs> we're gonna have so there's always food, there's always drinks, it's always fun. It's a it's a way to kind of chat to people, to get to know your community. It's very relaxed. It's a community hall. It's it's a way to meet and greet and to enjoy cinema in a different way. Mm. And it's a, it's an Addison Road um, community center, which is in Merrickville.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, is this also the first year you're showing um, a few sessions at Kasula Powerhouse as well?
3: No, we're coming back to Kasula. So we okay. always do the West, but we kind of try different venues. Last year was Fairfield, but we're coming back to Kasula after a couple of years. So, yes, that's on the 21st. And again, it's making that cinema. People don't, not everyone comes to the city. So let's go out there and show some films. And
4: No, I think it's, it's a great point, cause especially at the Sydney Film Festival as well. When they reached out to Kasula, I think it really did attract. Uh, a different kind of audience yep. and people were actually going out to see it. So I think it's tapping in different venues across Sydney, which and is an interesting point.
2: It's nice to make use of these spaces. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and otherwise just it's just there. And just, just the often, city. Often... Cinemas these days aren't a lot of them they're obviously great exceptions, but a lot of them just aren't that nice an environment so
3: true it is true yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and i I do think that again it's making that accessible you know people are older and there's a there's a great community out there, and we are trying to show very those films so those films that we're showing there are quite distinct, so the Cuban is i have to confess is my favorite Mantis nest uh mm. Nilo mantis and it's uh I know it sounds terrible because it's a love triangle. And it's this woman stuck in this... with. But also between. a murder mystery, right? Yes, it is definitely a murder mystery. And that's the thing, that it, the premise is, is quite interesting. Someone gets killed, there's a daughter and two dads and one mom, and what happens? And the beautiful thing about this is if you ever been to Cuba, and even if you planning to go to Cuba or if you dream about Cuba, it tells a story of Cuba with these characters. So you learn 20 years of Cuban history and... What's been happening via the life of these three characters, and it's actually beautiful because you you see all the scenes, you get to see Cuba is glorious, and the acting is amazing. I just I don't know, I just fell in love with the film. Sorry. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's
0: excellent. On the twenty first, uh, but we are doing a giveaway for the tenth the Edison Picture House, the yes. short film. So yes, what do we have to what, what, what are we giving away today?
3: We're giving a double pass to the Edison Road Picture House short film competition, which is called Issues That Matter.
0: Dan, dan, dan. And issues that matter. And if you want to win that, I uh, just e be the first email win at 2SR. That's W I N at 2SR.com with your details. And yeah, I hope we will see you there on the tenth. And we'll be back in a moment talking all things Slap and chatting more with Giselle. So stay tuned. And here's that promo which you heard just a <laughs> little bit of earlier. What happened
3: to the promo?
0: And it's uh, what's happening now? And, oh, here we are. We we see the American Film <laughs> <Closing> Festival <laughs> is coming
1: soon. Our city's most fun and vibrant celebration of independent cinema. Famous for their opening and closing night fiestas and Q&A sessions, you'll discover more than just your new favourite movies. Running from September 4th to 21st at Dendy Opera Keys, Addison Road Picture House, and now also at Kizula Powerhouse. For tickets and more information, head to slaff.org.au. 2SER is a media partner of Sydney Latin American Film Festival. Thinking of a change in career or to expand your existing knowledge? Visit the Postgraduate Info Hub at UTS Open Day. UTS has strong connections to industry. We understand the demands of a changing and challenging work environment and the additional demands it places on you. Chat about course subjects, entry requirements and flexible study options at UTS Open Day, Saturday, August 31st. Register now at openday.uts.edu.au. Two SER sponsors.
0: And we're back on Film Fight Club talking all things Sydney Latin American Film Festival, which is kicking off at Dendi Opera Keys next Wednesday, the 4th.
4: Yeah, that was a sweet promo, actually. Yeah, Well done, Glenn. Yeah.
0: Well, well, thank you. I put it together smooth. myself. Smooth.
4: <laughs> uh, talking about Smooth, uh, uh, a film that I was thinking about is <laughs> the worst segue that I can think of. Talking about Smooth, you want to hear more yeah, about, about, <laughs> about <20 laughs> Smooth? Yeah, I was thinking Smooth. I was like, okay. But well, I'm going to save this. I'm going to continue. Uh, the movie I was thinking about is In Times of Rain, because, you know, it's. We're talking about climate change, we're talking about migration, we're talking about forced communities, things that none of the people that we live with believe in at this time and place. But this movie is talking about all of those things, and it's difficult to do that, actually, and especially produce art, as we were discussing off-air. And, you know, produce art that is actually meaningful and actually stands for something. So let's talk about this film.
3: Yeah, so it's actually directed by an Indigenous female director, Ita Hui. it's her first feature film, and she's Mixteco, so she's from this Oaxaca region in Mexico, so that in itself is, is already uh, something beautiful, and it's part of it, it's also biographical because she, this is what happens, so you grow up in an indigenous community, there's not enough opportunities, one of the mom or the dad has to leave to the city to kind of provide for the kids, the kids grow up in the culture, but then they have to move to the city, and they always feel conflicted between their identity and also those growing up as an Indigenous person and then moving into the city. So this story tells the story of this little boy that has to live through those sort of things. And then what happens also when you move into the city and you have to provide? It's it's all those conflicts. The scenes are beautiful. Some of those she's spoken in Misteco, which you might recognise from Roma. So I think Roma made Misteco sexy, so... Mistake sexy again so being an indigenous from Oaxaca <laughs> I know it's, it's become a, uh, something that we value and we cherish and I guess we have to be reminded that it's a very important culture as well
4: I guess thank you Netflix hey eh? yeah
3: thank you Quran. Yeah. <laughs> thank you thank, yes thank you Quran. and,
0: and um, yeah and another one I would like to say that I have seen this film that will be a lie I'm halfway through watching because I couldn't discuss the end but it is quite a confronting film about a former or say a professional soccer player who uh, goes down an avenue in life that he wasn't expecting and that certainly um, no one would relish.
3: It's goalkeeper. It's actually, I don't know the last time you saw a film from Bolivia, but I really can't recall, probably more than 10 years ago. And this was the official entry for both the Oscars and the uh, Golden Globes. And it's the story about the Muraja, which in, in Spanish is actually a wall but he's a goalkeeper so he's had former gro- glory and he's gone into bad times he's an alcoholic he's son is dying, is in hospital, needs a transplant. He makes one of the worst decisions that you can imagine to save his son. So people say, you know, sometimes you will do whatever it takes to save your son. Um, The interesting thing about this film is that it deals with a a very important issue, which is human trafficking, which is, in Bolivia, is one of the countries where there's the highest level of human trafficking. And we don't know what happens to these people. And the film deals with what could potentially happen to a lot of people that disappear. We're not talking about women, kids, men and it's quite hard but I think it's, those realities need to be told and I think it's quite an important film for that and before the film we actually have an even more amazing short called We Vanish, Las Desaparecidas which is from Astrid Dominguez and Haley, who is a producer, Australian producer and it's about femicide in Mexico and what happens and how people care, how little people care in Mexico about women disappearing and being killed. So it's a strong session. I know it, I'm not selling it, but it is a very important session, and it's a very important message. It's just focusing on human rights for with two amazing films and uh, a
0: superbly performer in the former feature film.
2: He's absolutely great.
3: Thanks, and he just won an award at uh, the international festival in Gramado in Brazil for best actor. So,
2: is it important to you as a film festival programmer and organizer to focus on getting these messages out and and um, creating a space for political messages?
3: I think it is. Uh, I think we were talking about this off-air that sometimes stories are hard. Not but anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> 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 so, sometimes stories are hard, but I think the festival gives an avenue for those stories to be told. And I think this wasn't one that I thought it was important to be told. And I also, I'm glad to have Hayley coming over from Melbourne to a bit of, do a Q&A and talk us about We Vanish because it, it, it is there are tough stories, but they're important stories. Hmm.
2: Um, one of the films tackling uh, a unusual issue um, is uh, being impossible. The story of and a uh, girl who realizes that she w- was actually intersex and has been uh, gone through a lot of procedures, you know, against any will before she was aware. Um, could you tell us a bit about that film?
3: Yeah, so this is for me again. It's a very important film because bear in mind that this is a Venezuelan film. Is directed by Patricia Ortega, and it touches in in Latin America was still kind of very conservative. So, and it deals with that. The mom is dying; she's in her deathbed, and the, uh, Ariel is the main character, still searching for answers. And the mom kind of refuses to give her those answers, and she just wants to talk about who she is and what's going on with her. And this is kind of she's portraying the life of a lot of people back in Latin America mm-hmm. and the interesting thing about this feature is also that you hear the voices of intersex people that are telling real stories within a feature film so I think it's beautifully told it's a very again great acting from um, the character that plays Ariel and also in a very important story and I have to say that Patricia is one of a handful of directors that still lives in Venezuela so doing this film in Venezuela is kudos to her because you know there are no resources there it's a very important one.
4: Uh, moving away from probably m- some of the heavier films to maybe hopefully uh, much more, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a lighter film, but I feel uh, in comparison it might be lighter. The Closing night, Delphin, which is, uh, oh. you know, st- feels like such a tearjerker, you know, the three hanky is what I would call it, you know, the classic... Inspirational uh, film. Inspirational film. But uh, also, you know, I wouldn't, I would probably need a whole tissue box, not three hanky, so... It would probably be, yeah I would run out of hankies and tissues but yeah, it feels I promise like you
3: a... you won't cry no really no you'll laugh it's so cute because Delphine okay. is this um 11 year old boy who wants I to I cry play. very easily though <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just do you like you. French do you like kids who be, uh, pretend that um, a hose is a French horn uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is a kid that lives in rural Argentina and literally his dream is to play for a youth orchestra. The French horn, as we all do, don't we, when we grow up? It's but always that, the strangest
0: <laughs> part of the orchestra, to yeah. me. Just this But It's a very
4: Glenn thing, actually. Glenn is the, the musical expert in, in, in the group. He loves his musicals, even though he's not seen some of the best musicals that I feel... Around, but I, the I didn't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, but talk about Taylor Swift. Later. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> moving past <laughs> the <laughs> fight aspect
2: of Film Fight Club, <laughs> yeah, to a regularly scheduled. We're glad to talk about Taylor Swift when the Cats
3: movie yeah, lands. No, no worries. So, well, the music in Delfin is actually quite quite nice, and and he's adorable. Like he he lives with his dad. He's a single dad. they they live in these terrible conditions, but he's a fighter. He wakes up every day in the morning, works at a bakery, goes to school, and just dreams about. Playing the French horn, so it's this beautiful story about Delphine. That's his name, Delphine. Yeah, yes, but but
4: actually, you're right because sometimes it's easier to tell that story from the perspective that you know. Look at how much misery there is, right? And it's it's difficult to actually look at the brighter side from even from that story. Like you could tell two different stories from yes. that perspective, but it's interesting that the director chose to go on that journey rather than the other journey, which was probably.
3: Yeah, anyway. so I think that's why it's fun. And again, there's going to be a youth um, group from Western Sydney doing oh, wow. a bit of a yeah, number and a drink. And obviously, we yeah, so going to go all the prize giving that day. <laughs> no,
4: I, I love how you've actually sort of incorporated the community that you're playing in, and it's it's, it's wonderful.
0: Now, we've asked about some of the films we're working to see. Are, we, are there films, is there one that you'd recommend to audiences maybe to seek out something that might fly under the radar and that people should definitely
2: be on the nest?
3: yes of course uh there's so many perro bomba is an outstanding one from chile uh the director actually won two awards for best direction and audience award at gramado um and it tells the story of haitians migrating to chile and you learn about the community and what happens to that community once they kind of clash with the culture in chile and as i said to people the interesting thing is that there are messages in that film that so resonate with what the discourse that we hear about the Sudanese community in Melbourne that is uncanny it's almost I was watching and I'm like oh my gosh this could easily be the Sudanese community in Melbourne that's how mm. and Juan is going to be here in Sydney he's going to be doing a and a so we're super excited to have him over I hope you can come and And welcome him to first time in Australia. He's very excited. The other film that I liked, and I think it's because of the stunning scenery, is called Joel, or Joel. It's actually shot in Patagonia. And it's really that backdrop is almost another character in that film. And it's the story of Joel, who's a boy, who's being adopted by a family that lives in Patagonia. So they're not from Patagonia. They moved there, and then they adopt a child. So they're outsiders with an outsider. So... It's kind of talking about how outsiders are seen by others, how the culture of a place, of that migration, internal migration, in this stance from metropolitan to rural, and how hard it is to be part of a community that's already existing, and how Joel is almost victimized for growing up the way he grew up. And I think it touches a lot of important subject matters about beyond adoption it's about more about place again it's about identity it's about migration and it's seriously one of the most beautiful in terms of, of the cinematography just the patagonia just shines in almost every single shoot so watch it i just you can get distracted just by looking at that but it's, it's really interesting
0: now the festival kicks off next wednesday night and for those who want to get tickets and head on how do we get there how do we get tickets?
3: Yes, head to our website. It's www. You shouldn't say that. slaff.org.au and go check us on Facebook, um, Instagram, or Twitter, and definitely go on and buy tickets. Don't be disappointed when they sell out. Yeah.
2: So just to be clear, it's S L A F F. Yeah. Slaff.
1: laugh Yes. Yep. Otherwise, we'll
4: give you a big. <laughs> slaff. <slough>,
1: right.
0: <laughs> Unless you're at the opening night, which we will see you there.
1: Yeah.
2: And create a big, big
0: slaff. Yes yeah just, just on fire the big, week, the half, week is, after week
2: the biggest laugh SLAF is a great uh, acronym you know it just it sounds it, satisfying like it? doesn't it Yeah, okay, you know, like SLAF yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, that Christos no novel but better
4: the <laughs> SLAF <So we'll, laughs>
0: and we'll be back in a moment um, with more Film Fight Club and Giselle thank you uh, well we, you're hanging around for a bit but uh, yeah well, thank you so much for talking all things SLAF and we'll be back
1: right after this Thinking of a change in career or to expand your existing knowledge? Visit the Postgraduate Info Hub at UTS Open Day. UTS has strong connections to industry. We understand the demands of a changing and challenging work environment and the additional demands it places on you. Chat about course subjects, entry requirements and flexible study options at UTS Open Day, Saturday, August 31st. Register now at openday.uts.edu.au Two SER sponsors.
2: Explore the the increasing convergence of of art and science at UTS Art's new exhibition, Spectra, the Art and Consequence of Collaboration. Eight Australian artists have collaborated with scientists and scientific institutions from around the world, including Mawson Station in Antarctica and Switzerland's CERN, famous for its large Hadron Collider. Head to art.uts.edu.au for more info. UTS Art, where creativity and technology meet. Sponsors 2SER.
0: We're back on Film Park. I'm in the last few minutes, uh, just to know before we go on discussing the Nightingale, uh, the big news of the past couple of weeks, which is the which went to which happened as we, were, as, we went to air, as we went to air, which was the new Matrix film from Lana Wachowski, starring Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. We are
2: very, very excited to see how very, that develops. I would say very curious is probably a more accurate way. I'm excited. It's it. a new
0: Matrix movie. You, yeah. you, you've, sold, you've sold me. The
2: thing, the thing <laughs> is. Um, I think it was you who made this point, Glenn, when we were talking about this off-air last week. That um, right now we're in such a point of franchise and sequel saturation that you know, ten years ago this would have been really special. Like, um, but now, it, it, even if we love The Matrix or feel nostalgic about The Matrix, it's still just kind of like, oh, so it's another yeah. big franchise. But it's also,
0: the jump to a really different part of the saga and the lore. Um, no, it's, but it's
4: wasted David, it with two d- bad movies, though.
2: David Mitchell is, is one bad movie. David Mitchell, we should do a whole Matrix Trilogy yeah. episode where we can settle this. But yeah, David Mitchell, who wrote <laughs> wrote the novel Cloud Atlas, is uh, writing the the script with Lama Great Kassi, novelist, so. shit screenwriter. I wouldn't say that. Is there any, is there any evidence to base that on? So we, Great we,
0: novelist. We, we can talk a little bit more about the Matrix of the podcast. We do want to touch on the Nightingale before we will
2: continue we in the podcast. Talking about that at length in the podcast. Yes,
0: we will be. Um, so you can stay tuned, uh, following this for the Sonic Assassin, and tune in next week for more uh, coverage all things sci-fi film Festival but just to note that Nightingale is in cinemas tomorrow it is the second feature from the bubble director Jennifer Kent starring Aisling Francioski and Sam Claffin it is and it is a, uh, quite a harrowing story about a Irish convict played by Francioski, who um, due to a number of series of very confronting very harrowing events um, goes in pursuit of a number of uh, figures who um, were uh, her captors um, at one point and it is in my view the not one of the best, the best, not only the best Australian film of the year, but the best Australian film since Sweet Country. Um, it's brilliant. It's a phenomenal follow up. And I can't wait to discuss it in much more detail. We have discussed it previously on the podcast during the Sydney Film Festival when it had its New South Wales premiere. But we are keen to discuss it in quite some detail because it is a very consequential feature. And maybe it's a very important feature and a very considered feature.
4: Yes. I mean, it deserves its proper discussion. And we we will dive into it in the podcast, which is why I don't want to give a rushed opinion of this.
2: Yeah. I'm anxious to see how this film performs in Australia. I think audience will reject it, but we'll see.
0: So thank you, Giselle, for coming on from oh, Slap. Thank you. So that's you uh, Come join us next week and stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin. This has been Glenn Fowles and Chris Evans of Rat Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Have Bye. a big laugh. And we're back on Film Fight Club. Uh, thanks, Giselle, for coming. That was good fun. Um, believe it or not, that quip made about Taylor Swift was, actually, was just the general, not in relation to the epic Taylor Swift reputation t-shirt I'm wearing. We promise we will discuss Taylor's mu- uh, musicography, discography, excuse me, what, musicography is not a word, discography, <laughs> um, when Cats releases later in the year. We'll reserve that excellent fight um, until yeah. then.
4: It's um. going to be pretty catty. It's, it's going to be uh,
0: fearless. Italy, it's it's going to be high fearless. High. And, uh, yeah, so The Matrix, that's the big news of the week. Um, I think we've covered it. Covered what what, it. what can I, really I,
4: I, more can we really yeah. say? I think we're just trying to avoid talking about The Nightingale now.
2: Because it's... Yeah.
0: No, we're talking about The Nightingale. We just want to touch on The Wild Goose Lake first.
2: Yeah, we caught that last night. Oh, I caught that last night. I
0: caught it at the Melbourne's National mm-hmm. Film Festival.
2: What's there really to say? Every single person I spoke to coming out of that, which was like four people... Um, all so you watched it separately and all had the their same kind of opinion, which is that it just doesn't come together. There's very interesting elements. Visually, it's really it's, yes, it's beautiful, but it's also mannered, and the look that it's going for is quickly becoming a cliché, I think.
0: Look, it's a much-anticipated movie. This, visually, it's one of the best films I've seen all year. Um, so in the cinematography, some sequences involving use of green light in the dark, and multiple, a sequence involving an umbrella early on. Um, sequences in the rain generally and shot at night are stunning. I would compare it, um, to the level of Thomas Reed in terms of capturing extra depth of field in a nighttime environment. Having said, in terms of the plot dynamics, there is nothing in, there's a lot that happens, but there is nothing in this movie that you have not seen from other movies or you could piece together from other movies. It's They're just pretty, wholly unoriginal.
2: Pretty stock standard neo-noir tropes. Yeah. Um, yeah so see it for the, see it for the form, not for the story anyway. yeah if that's if that's your thing, but even the form wasn't i don't i think it it was more interesting than actually accomplished it felt to me very much um like a jarring set of um contradictory styles you know there there's these kind of um montages where the editing becomes very loose and free associative, but I was never really satisfied because with the way that those entered into the narrative, um, which is generally much more grounded. Oh, it was all yeah, right. uh, yeah. You,
0: you had the you had this annoying situation where the cinematographer and the performers were operating on a different level to the production design and direction. So half were operating as if it was a standard traditional thriller, half operating as if it was this neo-noir surreal hyper-realistic movie a la Drive and it doesn't work when you have people operating completely different wavelengths and that's what the whole film felt like
2: so
4: um did you use all those descriptors and then say Drive
0: (laughs) I said a la Drive I don't, I'm not a fan of Drive, but there, sure. are el- there, there, there are elements of the blocking of how characters relate to each other, which is very similar to Drive. And I'd actually say as a better example, Brick, the um, Rian Johnson film from some years ago.
2: Look, the, this screening, just um, to fill you in last night, uh, Glenn saw it at MIFF, but I saw it at a screening organised by Static Vision, put on by uh, Connor Bateman and Felix Hubble. It's a series of screenings at the Palace Central Cinema where they're showing films that have not been given a release in New South Wales and they think deserve it. Um I was ha- I agree with the introductory statement that this is a uh visually beautiful film that deserves an audience and so I'm grateful for the screening. Um and tickets were cheap. There's also next month yeah. they're screening Angela Shallnack's I Was at Home, but which was one of the best received films at the Berlin Film Festival this year and didn't screen at the Sydney Film Festival. Or but anywhere actually. It it screened at MIF, but not at not at Sydney. So um yeah, if you're interested yeah yeah, and, and if you're at home up,
4: but want to go <laughs> out yes yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly
0: no, so and Static Vision yeah. and great. I've been to Collins couple of years can you to yeah. see more and there so, are so keep,
2: keep an eye on them um, Yeah, look up old, Static old Vision on Facebook and if you're interested pals. book yeah Old Pals of Film Fight Club and if you're interested book in quick for I Was at Home but because it looks like their sessions are starting to sell out quicker
4: yeah it, it, it's a great film I think yeah I'm surprised it never it flew under the radar so much and mm. yeah so.
0: Right. so, The Nightingale This will be in general release tomorrow It has attracted unwarranted controversy During the premiere screening at the Sydney Film Festival Where there were I like that, the
2: opinions are just coming out right from the front So first of all, you guys are wrong <laughs> No, look, <laughs> yeah, well, the, true. The, the, the
0: reports are wrong um, The reports ranged from huge walkouts To the Daily Mail article Which said half the audience walked out no. Chris and I were in the screening that's wrong. Yeah, it's no, untrue. the audience did not walk um, out. We were in the upper up part of the Ritz. Uh, we even, saw about so 6 to 10 huge. people walk out. I was at High Life the following night. A more violent film. There were significantly more walkouts. To be um,
2: fair, the, most of the audience was on the bottom level, so we, yeah. we could have missed. But, 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 but w- I don't think. No, I uh, no, observed, observed following it, there were we, not
0: we, we've been a to, substantial no, amount of walkouts. We've yeah, been to
4: out. Terrence Milex trainings and we've seen what massive walkouts actually look like
0: in real life.
4: I've seen more walkouts
0: out of a ghost story and Song to song. at Did you at the guys City Film Festival. catch
2: Inland Empire at City Film Festival? That's meant to be one yes. of the, one of the famous most. I probably sig- would have walked out then. That's one, one of the most significant. Even, no, I, no even, I would have. I've never
0: walked out of the movie. I, I wouldn't. Even for would Night of Cards, would have been hard. Even
2: for Night of Cards. Right, yeah. Gosh, that was uh, song to song.
4: Uh, song to song. We, See, were, okay, we, were okay, we were them. We were counting the walkouts. Of song to song. That was beautiful. So back to Nightingale. <laughs> we keep moving away from the Film
2: Nightingale. Film that we're avoiding talking about. Uh, we shouldn't be avoiding. We're not avoiding talking about it. We've we don't want to avoid about it.
4: Because we've spoken about
0: it before. Um, I gave it, both of us, gave it a very strong review earlier in the year. It, amid a number of movies, amid in Hollywood controversy as to how violence, specifically violence against women, is depicted on screen, Nightingale has, and Jennifer Kent has a very considered approach to this matter. She shows it, not gore or, or difficult material. To consume for the sake of it, but shows its consequence both physical and emotional thereof.
2: There very much is a focus on showing the consequences of violence, both you know physically in terms of the mutilation of bodies and, and emotionally um, and the, the trauma uh, and the lasting horror, the lasting trauma, as um, in the nightmare sequences which we see from the perspective of the main character, which have really allowed Jennifer Kent to show off. Um, her skill as a horror director uh, th- this that aspect of her filmmaking is still very much here even though it, she's ostensibly shifted to a, a different sort of um, narrative terrain it is a, a horrifying film
4: oh yes, I agree
2: but it's, also uh, a
4: cyclical nature of, of trauma and, and violence actually and how difficult right. it is to break it it's, especially from a male point of view and how that is, uh, you know almost brought down from generation to generation and it's almost passed down in that sense. It was interesting how violence was seen in that that kind of demographic. Mm.
2: Well, it it is a film about a person who has violence, you know, perpetrated upon herself and her family who then... It's a revenge narrative who's then seeking out horrible violence and comes to find it unsatisfying.
0: On the matter of revenge narratives... They usually go in one of two ways, and this film suggests one of two directions it can go, that um, revenge can be taken and that it can be a either um, euphoric or cathartic experience or revenge can or cannot be taken, but regardless, it can show the consequences thereof, of both violence and uh, revenge and violence and the physical nature of violence. Um, surprisingly, and very rarely done, this film suggests, well, it does sit. Su- in part, suggests one of those alternatives. This film suggests very powerfully, very emphatically, a third alternative. It's a very difficult thing to sell. I have certainly seen uh, people try to sell this sort of narrative turn in other forms. It has come off as uh, quite uh, uh, not sincere. Um, I would... I w- And we discussed in the context of this film another film, which um, emulated a lot of its characteristics earlier in the year, which was premiered at the Sydney Film Festival, was in no way its level of quality. However, the Nightingale... Judy it off, Yes, with um, great aplomb. And I commend Kent for it. And further on to the matter of aspects of how violence is depicted in this film, another aspect which I think will go unnoticed is the exceptional use of language, not just the main character, played by Aislinn Franchigosi's native Gaelic, but um, the indigenous character and the use of indigenous languages and particularly one scene shared between them, which is of great significance in the course of the movie.
4: I think, and that's an interesting one you brought up because there's been not only unwarranted criticism in terms of the reception of it, but also on Jennifer Kent regarding how she's made the movie and who actually has control over what kind of narratives and what kind of movies we actually make. And I think... uh, She's As made it the is, film she wanted to make exactly, but also in in the sense that this was actually one of the examples where a director has actually gone to extreme lengths to incorporate the communities and actually you know use a lot of their kind of uh, cu- culture and actually use a process where it is a lot more of two way conversation, which is happening. A lot of Aboriginal elders actually were part of the filmmaking process, so this is a much more collaborative effort than a lot of people have realised, and actually. For her getting that kind of unnecessary backlash, unwarranted backlash, it's kind of stupefying for me to see it because this is actually done in a way which uh, people would presume that when you collaborate and work in different cultures, that this is the kind of movie that would be made. Because this is not only about you know indigenous uh, cultures, it's also about Irish cultures yeah, equally as well. Yeah, I was saying this well. b- beforehand
2: yeah. when we were talking with Giselle, that, like, the, the, because she brought up this idea of um, that people are saying, does she have the right to, to tell this story? I I take issue with that. It's it's because, essentially, if if you're asking that about this question, it's saying that nobody has the right to tell any story that involves Aboriginal characters if they're not Aboriginal. But this is not exclusively an Indigenous story. This is not a story that belongs entirely to Indigenous culture. This is a story that Jennifer Kent has imagined based on history involving Irish and English and Aboriginal people.
0: Uh, Okay. First, I I agree with everything that's been said. To further these points, first of all, it is outrageous that anyone anywhere would ever tell any woman not to tell a story about violence against women. That's absurd and offensive. Um, On the matter, I kind of take Lionel Shriver's view on this, that anyone should have the right to tell any story they want. Um, now if someone t- is of a particular background and they're relating a story to a particular background, it may be more emphatic and powerful. In the event they are not, um, they may choose to consult with persons in the background, as was clearly done in this case. If they do not, it may be a very good story. It may, for the lack of that research and work, may be a very lousy story. Certainly Kent did the, the legwork when it came to this movie, and it has resonated because the film rings, as I said earlier, as sincere, um, and we, I know we, we've talked about this issue before in the context of disobedience when I made the point that um, this is a film about a particularly insular community and anyone within or outside of that community should have the right to relate that story. Certainly uh, members of both that community and those outside the community were roles in that film and it was a very good film. And it was the same uh, with The Nightingale. I'm glad uh, she sought to tell the story and I'm, I think it's remiss to criticise her for seeking to tell something that, as she stated at the premiere in Sydney... Um, I am only based... There's nothing she told in the story that has not already happened and happened multiple times throughout history.
4: Definitely. And I think what is more interesting about it, about how she's able to bring together these disparate stories of violence into one universal narrative. Because, you know, if you look at the Irish experience and how that is paralleling the indigenous experience as well, I wouldn't have thought about it that way until I saw the film. And I was like, oh, hang on. The The colonial experience actually... She, has mirrored in so many different it is interesting, communities, isn't it? Yeah, and you see that parallel, and and then these and it, it goes further marginalized communities to come together. It was an interesting kind of you know uh, bonding moment, which I was not expecting. It was quite actually one of the more powerful moments of the film.
2: Yeah, she's drawn the parallel between the English suppression of the Irish and of Aboriginal people, but she's also bringing in you know I guess tying that to the narrative of um, oppression of women.
4: Yeah. But also, you know, uh, when you talk about individual languages, with Gaelic and indigenous languages, to just to see that, to see how, when you look at these uh, stories of trauma, it unfolds in very similar manner. Mm. That you are your stories of your own languages, your own histories, your own stories are the first to to sort of you know. Uh, get suppressed, then it's not just about a singular experience in Australia, but it also has happened otherwise in other communities. So actually, it becomes a much more universal story in that sense, which is amazing and more powerful. Uh, And to
0: make further the point, she also made the idea at the premiere that if she were to tell things that actually happened... We would be an unwatchable film. So she has told versions and she has told nevertheless related serious events throughout history. Um, so just to note, um the uh, actor we refer to obliquely who played Billy is Bekali Ganumba, uh, who plays the Indigenous tracker Amazing in performance. Amazing performance. On the matter of... I'm keen to talk about the performances which we'll get to in a sec, but first...
2: Yeah, I, I was just listening to what we were all talking about. I thought it's interesting because if you look at the way that a lot of critics are discussing this film in America, uh, they're approaching it from the perspective of... This is a really dark really really serious rape revenge film and kind of a lot of people are kind of questioning it like this is an exploitation narrative that's been um, you know rendered with with all this grimness and, and self seriousness about it whereas in Australia I think we intrinsically take this as like this is deadly serious oh very much so I, I think it's, it's worth um, doing but the it is interesting. like I didn't view the film that way but it is if structurally it is kind of like a traditional exploitation film narrative. It's just that the telling is invested with enough cultural specificity that it feels real. It doesn't... I don't think it feels trashy. I think it... And to assess whether it is the sort of
0: film, you have to look at um, how the violence is depicted and whether it is um, extraneous and -hmm. unnecessary to plot whether violence is depicted for the sake of violence. We talked about this earlier in the uh, year. There are two quite harrowing sexual assault sequences earlier in the film. You could make an argument that one of those sequences... um, That it's maybe too much. but But I appreciate why it was included and i will not uh criticize kent for doing so i do take the view that there is a murder that occurs much later in the film which wasn't uh really essentially consequential within events and was kind of left by the wayside that could have been let out i mean what it, it, it did go some way to establishing a character yeah it was terrible person but we already knew this character yeah. was an indiscriminate abuser but-, but having said that it didn't detract uh, even at all from the
2: movie. Yeah. I understand why I was in there, and it did make tragic but still sense within the narrative. Kent is really stressing that, you know, these people are really, 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 really evil, but you're right. We do understand that already. Um, I, I'm not saying that she should have tried to go for Shades of Grey, but when um, the message of the film is, is so obvious, it, it just it comes a point where it's just not necessary to over overstress these things. But I think as Australians who probably, you know, feel some sense of, if not shame, then, you know, like at least we're aware of these events and that there's a a lot of darkness in Australian history. Maybe we just approach this differently and are more, more willing to give this film the benefit of the doubt than it's, foreign it's, audiences. It's,
4: it's interesting a lot of Mar- American critics would approach this film like that because I would think especially a lot of African-American critics would... Relate to it and actually not see this as black exploitation, actually, could see it quite the opposite. And they would actually. Well, I haven't been looking at African
2: American uh, perspectives on it, so maybe. I'm not sure. Because
4: I I think from that perspective, uh, uh, you know, it could be because, you know, it's not that long ago where it's a similar language that a lot of the film uses against indigenous culture, which would be paralleling the African American experience as well. Um, To be clear,
0: though, this is not, I don't think. uh, I haven't certainly haven't seen any critics take this as to be a black exploitation film. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm just saying, you know. <laughs>
4: yeah. But it, go, no, sorry. Uh, what, what I meant was going in that exploitation narrative and using black exploitation as the tropes and themes, which a lot of people I think have drawn. I think the American experience itself is quite muddled, and I think the Australian specificity of it makes it difficult to connect to an audience uh, where I think the American experience being of that civil rights movement and their own mixed uh, feelings about their own culture right now, I think it's just, this is one of those kind of uh, atomic bomb moments where I think it's too real for them to handle and they're not quite sure how to deal with similar experiences uh, in different countries.
0: I think you're saying it's very specific to the US. I think you can make a more general comment that, that Australians and people within Australia... Uh, this film will resonate culturally um, in a very distinct way as to how um, a film might this might resonate out, not just the U.S. but in other country who may not be uh, familiar with Australia's own particular horrible history and the cultural issues that are being teased out in this film. I um, mean, look at many films historically in the U.S. which have dealt with not dissimilar issues, and certainly uh, I could think of it's this film. It's in no way comparable, but Dance with Wolves, uh, going back a few decades um, in America, certainly would have resonated very strongly, at least um, in many sectors and in many communities about the. Um, United States historic and still continuing uh, uh, issues facing Native Americans. However, in Australia, I certainly would feel that would have been built as more of a Kevin Costner thriller, and would have resonated more strongly in that respect. To use but one example,
4: I know, and and I think part of it is is it's a struggle, right? Where uh, to call it a revenge narrative, almost. Sort of sells it so short because I think that it's, is what it is. I know, I know. But I, I think part of the critical appraisal of this movie has missed the point because I think in calling it a revenge narrative, we we haven't delved deeper into the actual themes and the actual ways that the film actually subverts a lot fair, of the expectations. It's been as a revenge narrative. Yeah, it, it, it is. But I think a lot of the surface criticism has been, "Oh, it is a revenge narrative," and then it gives you not excuse to actually deal with. So much of what is going on in this film, or maybe you know people are just uncomfortable and they don't want to deal with it, which is probably the other side of the coin. I think
0: I just think there's while there are countries and cult and nations worldwide which will be able to relate to the experiences there because they have similar terrible histories. I, I think there aren't a lot of places outside of Australia who will where this will resonate in the way that it will resonate like it will yeah. in Australia simply because oh, yeah. it is so. It is tragically and so sadly culturally specific. Um, uh, moving on to, to talk about some of the performances. Um, <coughs> I remember watching Ainsley Parchowski in the fall. Um, it was a breakout role. Certainly this is her best performance to date. Um, she has an incredible career in film ahead of her. Sam Claffin has always, I think, very wrongly been dismissed as a, you know, pretty boy, you know, action star given the Hunger Games and <laughs> what was o- an overlooked performance in Me Before You. This is not his best performance of the past year. Go watch Journey's End, the film where he plays a a sergeant who is suffering post-traumatic stress disorder on the Western Front has been there a number of years and is absolutely brutal and harrowing to every single member of his unit because he's been and he can't stand it and it's his entire life and mentality. As good as he is in this, he's better in that. He is a brilliant dramatic performer and he was excellent He's really good at being bad. He was fearless in this.
4: Better at being bad than Damon Ahriman, actually. He was. was.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, And I've got to give it to... um, Earlier, it's it's his first feature performance, but Amgenambar, wow! Like, and it's it's his only film uh, credit to date, feature film credit to date. Good on him! What a what a turn!
4: I mean, it's 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 fantastic, and actually, yeah, it 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 was such a raw performance where I I feel like you know calling very unmannered. yeah, Yeah. calling it clinical or refined or any of those adjectives actually would do a disservice because it actually is such. You're right, such a you know raw performance.
2: I think a lot of um a lot of why this film works so well and that you don't question some of the narrative choices for the most part and are willing to just go with it because some of the things we've discussed earlier on are things that I usually take offense at when they, um, like the heavy handedness of some of the characterization and some of the events in the narrative but I I just went with it is that Jennifer Kent is such a strong director. Um, There really is from the the beginning of this film um, a really crushing, sustained sense of doom. Um, and The the visual control is, is... um it's using a 4x3 frame to which i think um helps to really um accentuate the faces if nothing else yeah it accentuates the faces but also the height of the trees in this um, oh yeah the, the, the wilderness the Daphnean kind of wilderness yeah. the way that the location is used like the the color scheme you know the mists um it, it the way that it simultaneously feels really really open but also like a maze that you can get lost in and that that it you know there's almost like a sense of claustrophobia coming out in the, these big open spaces. I think yeah, the way way it uses location is is really incredible. um she's so uh so strong visually towards the end of this film there are, are some moments where you know images and motifs we've oh, seen throughout yeah. the film just really come together yeah. into into little moments um she based on the the Babadook to this. The Babadook was an incredibly impressive debut and this is a big leap forward. This I think is, she is, she's so yeah. clearly such a strong director to watch. I'm um, I'm hoping that the reception to this film gets enough of the right people on board that she's able to keep yeah. pushing. Yeah.
4: Um to
2: it's interesting you brought that
4: up because I mean that's the other thing. It's we don't have that many voices which are trying to do something with cinema and not just produce movies right you she's know, so for clearly the sake of it. yeah she like she has a vision and really she's really important australian voice. yeah and in just two movies so it's it's fascinating thing that she's become such an important voice in such a short time so it's a
2: dark period for australian cinema um, and, arguably a dark period for art cinema all around the world so yeah. i think it, it's it's important that we nurture a voice like this
4: yeah um, and, I, and i hope that people spend money to to go and see it you know and yeah. it, they don't yeah. get put off by this uh, That's the thing. It's yeah. so difficult to. It's a difficult get, film to watch,
2: and it's a, it's difficult to get funding and convince audiences to go to see films, especially in a in a period of a lot of worldwide turmoil. Yeah, it's oh. difficult to get people to spend their escapism money on well, something so real. Um, on, 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 on. I'll go and watch it, and I'll take friends. Real print. about the yeah, the so. darker aspects of
0: life. I, yeah, on this, uh, Kent made the point at the premiere that. Um, not only, and this has been in the news lately, she turned down a lot of money to direct like a lot of big budget movies, big studio movies. But, Marvel guaranteed, yeah, Marvel, yeah. But she, uh, uh, according on, by, on her words, turned down a very uh, high profile performer for the main role in this film to cast franchise. we can speculate as to who it was. I don't believe Kent, she's a professional, will ever reveal who it is. But it is a remarkable uh, feat of courage to do that to turn down what is, you know, an, an A-lister who would have guaranteed a massive box office a straw to cast someone who she thought was not, not nearly as well known, but most appropriate for the role. So good on her for that.
4: I mean, the scenes when uh, Francesca's character is speaking Gaelic, probably one of the more, you know, and it felt so real in and a lot of the movie just feels real and, and un, you know, it, it's not it it could do with another kind of, you know, refined polish which a lot of Australian films, love. And I love and what I liked was this was not going for that. This was just like this is a sincere movie, this is what I'm trying to do. If you don't like it, well, you don't like it.
2: It's one of my favourite films of the year for sure. Oh, absolutely the same. And I, I do I don't
0: want to end on a negative note. I we have uh, praise for length, it is absolutely worth seeing. It's brilliant. Um, I do have a want to note. Um, aside from the issue I referred to earlier with the one murder, which uh, I, one issue one I did, murder too much. Uh, one issue I did take with it in that there's just a the moment. I think Chris Turner and I to, to each other in cinemas when this occurred, where a character gives a character a firearm and uh, has them uh, just so just 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 wait here for the moment. And it's just one of those moments that would not occur. And the characters yeah. There's a few. If, if it did, then it's that situation where, like, no, this, this in the in the no, world this so universe stupid. is established, this film is established. It, it would not it transpire. Was, it,
2: it didn't ultimately end up hurting the narrative because it didn't end up having too many flow on effects where you know bad things happen because of one dumb decision made by the characters, which is what would really make me hate it. But um, it is just distracting that um, there's moments of D- drop in logic, characters just suddenly acting really stupid
0: but it didn't but, but yeah ultimately it, it, did, it didn't actually affect anything so yeah
2: yeah, um, yeah mind, it just takes you out of the mind. out of the film momentarily because we're so used to the horror movie thing of you know the character does a dumb thing to justify their end yeah. um but minor drawback yeah it's a it's a minor drawback ultimately i yeah. agree so that is yeah. it's
4: it's a beautiful film just go and see it and and then and yeah. then you can come and blame us if if you do
0: Send so us the nightingale it is in cinemas tomorrow you should go see it the Sydney Latin American yeah. Film Festival is screening from the 4th of September.
4: I mean, we don't all unanimously recommend a movie that often. So, I True. mean, that is something. You know, the Film Appreciation Club has come together.
0: So, we're, And we'll be back next week talking all things Sci-Fi Film Festival. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night.
3: Love Bye. you.